Colossians chapter 2, we're going to read a lengthy passage of Scripture here, and then I want to share some things with you that I hope will be a help, hope it will be an encouragement to you. And in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, Beware, okay, beware, be careful, be watching for this. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. When it's talking about spoiling there, it's not talking about spoiling like, you know, you spoil a kid rotten. This is talking about spoiling like when somebody comes and conquers you and basically takes everything you have. Don't be taken captive. Don't be led away. Don't let your, all your usefulness, everything you are, you know, don't be spoiled. Don't allow people to take from you. Uh, don't be spoiled through philosophy and vain deceit. After the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in Him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with Him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with Him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised Him from the dead. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath He quickened together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to His cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them. And I want you to notice that part there. I love that. I mean, Jesus Christ, when He conquered them, He spoiled them. He spoiled the principalities. He made a show of them openly. Kind of what I picture... In this, you know, back in those days, in the when they would have their uh, sports in those Roman coliseums, they would have those people go up against each other sometimes. And a lot of times, you know, if, when they would defeat their enemy, the gladiator, or whatever, they'd kind of make a show of them. You know, I've heard stories about them after they would defeat somebody. You know, they'd hook the body of their chariot and they'd drag them around the place, just kind of. You know, I defeated these people and I defeated them bad, and just kind of making a show of it. That is how bad Jesus defeated our enemies. That's how bad He defeated those that were against us. He triumphed over them in an amazing way. He made a show of them openly. It's like kind of what they would do too when they would make, it was like they wanted to make sure everybody knew, hey, these people are dead. For example, if you go back in 1 Samuel and you read about the story of David and Goliath, you'll notice when, like, there's people out there that say, it wasn't the stone that killed Goliath. It was when David cut his head off. You know, the stone just knocked him out. But the Bible says that when David hit Goliath with that rock, he slew him. But then if you continue reading, when he goes to cut his head off, it says he slew him there too. What's that talking about? How do you slay somebody twice? Well, pretty much, you know, they're down in the middle of a valley, and all these people see it, and they're probably thinking he just knocked him out. They're probably think all the people on both sides are thinking, you know, maybe Goliath is just playing around with them. There is no way this battle is over already. And so David, to make sure everyone knew, hey, I have slain this giant, he went and he cut his head off and he lifts his head up for everyone to see. You know what he's doing? He's kind of making a show. Hey, I defeated this giant. Here is the evidence of it right here. And our enemies, which we're going to talk about in just a minute, 
things that we allow to defeat us and get us in trouble all the time, these are enemies that are already defeated. Ones that Jesus Christ clearly destroyed, that He conquered, He made a show of them openly. I love how it says that. And then verse 16 says, "...let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of any holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Let no man beguile you of your reward in voluntary humility." and worshiping of angels, intruding in those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding the head from which the, all the body by joints and bands, having nourishment ministered and knit together, increaseth with the increase of God. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why as though living in the world are ye subject to ordinances? Touch not, taste not, handle not, which all are to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men, which things have indeed a show of wisdom and will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. So a lot of things in here I want to cover. But notice that verse 2 where it says, touch not, taste not, handle not. I remember one time I was at the church and I looked in a refrigerator and it had written on there Colossians 2.21. I was just like, what in the world? And I saw touch not, taste not, handle not. I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. But what is that talking about? That's talking about really these things that we're getting ready to cover. There are some things that Christian people, religious people tend to mess with that the Bible says touch not, taste not, handle not. Don't go anywhere near them. Don't get caught up in these things. And these things that we are getting defeated by, the things that many people are being spoiled by, that are being taken captive by are things that really are dead, that are defeated. Now, as I was studying this, I got to thinking about this obsession that we have, and it's been around for a long time, of dead enemies. Okay, for example, look how many vampire shows there are, okay? Well, vampires are supposed to be dead, right? They're dead and they come back. You've got all these zombie movies. And we have, our society is just disgustingly fascinated with dead things. And I remember even as a little kid, I used to watch the old Frankenstein movies. Okay, And you know, it was funny because Frankenstein, he was made from dead bodies, right? You know, people that were already dead, but yet life came. And then at the end of the Frankenstein, every Frankenstein movie, he would get killed at the end, wouldn't he? But he always came back, didn't he, for the next movie? And he would kill. He would kill again. And it's like you know. And same thing, you know, Dracula. He'd get killed in every movie, but then he would always come back, and he would kill again. And really, I was I was thinking about this. The enemies, the spiritual enemies, the principalities and powers that are defeating many people, are things that the Bible calls dead, things that are defeated, and yet they are coming back and getting people all the time. They're leading people captive. They're destroying people. How can that happen? How can Frankenstein come back and kill again? He was already defeated. He already got killed in the last movie. Well, you know that there is fake. But what I'm talking about today is real. So what are these things? Okay, when Jesus Christ died and rose again, He conquered. He permanently defeated our enemies. Yet even though our enemies are dead, it is. It's like we see them returning. And destroying us anyway. And so, what are these enemies that Jesus Christ defeated? Okay, because listen, you shouldn't get defeated by these things. 
I used to think as a kid too, you know, when you'd watch Frankenstein chase after somebody, he was really slow, wasn't he? And the guy could barely walk, yet he always caught people. You know? It's like, why don't you just run? You know, the mummy. You know, the mummy, you know, he, they were slow as all get out, but yet they always caught people. All you have to do is be able to run without falling down and you're going to be fine. But nobody could ever do it. They got him every time. And same, and it's the same thing. These things that we're going to talk about should not be defeating us. But they do. They get people all the time. They destroy churches. They destroy lives. And so what, what are these things that we're talking about? Well, first off, carnal ordinances. Okay. Well, what are you talking about? Go to Ephesians chapter 2. There are many people today that are trying to bring back Old Testament practices, Old Testament laws that are things that Jesus Christ finished, He completed, things that He nailed to His cross, things that we can't possibly keep. And listen, there are some things, many things in the Old Testament. There are the moral law. I believe we should still obey the moral law. I believe we should still obey the Ten Commandments. But to tell people that you have to obey those commandments to be saved, that will destroy those people. And there are many people trying to establish their own righteousness. They are trying to get to heaven on their own goodness. And the thing is, when you do that, those laws will defeat you because you can't compete all, com- complete all the laws, can you? You can't obey all the laws. And people will end up going to hell because they have broken those laws. When Jesus Christ already completed those things for us. Look at what Ephesians chapter 2 says. But right now, I want us to talk about ones. There are some that we cannot keep. There are some laws, too, that quote Christian people are trying to bring back that it's physically impossible for us to keep. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, it says, I'm in Philippians. That's not it. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. It says, Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. He said, he's talking to saved people here. He says, remember, in the past, you were Gentiles, okay? In the past, you, you were outsiders. Verse 12, that at the time, ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. What's he talking about there? Hey, back before Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for us, if you were a Gentile, if you were not a Jew, you couldn't do the things that you were supposed to do. You couldn't bring the sacrifices. You couldn't follow those practices. You could not follow the commands that God gave. We're going to look at some of those in a minute. In a minute. But verse 13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Thank God that we don't have to be a Jew today. Okay? It's not about your bloodline. It's not where you come to descend from. Verse 14, For He is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in the flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in Himself of twain one new man, so making peace." And that he might reconcile both unto God and one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Okay, so we see that before Christ, we, okay, you know, Gentiles in the flesh, 
We were without hope. We were without God in the world. Okay, why were we without hope? Well, let's look. I'm going to look at some verses here real quick, and we're, I'm only going to touch a few of them. Exodus chapter 12, verse 43. There were some laws that literally it would have been impossible for us to keep. Exodus 12:43. And the Lord said unto Moses and Aaron, "This is the ordinance of the Passover: There shall no stranger eat thereof." Who's a stranger? A foreigner. Okay, the Passover, that was one of the things they were supposed to keep. That was one of the things they were supposed to practice and follow. But if you were a foreigner, if you were not of Israel, don't let the stranger eat it. Don't let a foreigner do it. Now, boy, this really gets us too as Americans, because you know, we're all about inclusion, including everybody. We're all about diversity. Can you imagine if we had a practice here in church today and we saw somebody come in of another nationality or something and said, sorry. You know, you can't, you know, you're not allowed here. You know, Mexican folks, not allowed in this church. White people only. Boy, you know how mad people would get? Now, sadly, the world gets mad for all the wrong reasons. Okay, but thank God, you know, we could be mad about that today because, hey, Jesus Christ broke down the middle wall of partition. We don't have to be of a certain race or from a certain family or anything like that. But back then, they had to. So, what are we supposed to do? What are you supposed to do if you are born. In the Philistine family, what are you supposed to do if you're born into one of these other families? You had no hope. Verse uh, Exodus chapter 29, verse 33, and they shall eat those things wherewith the atonement was made to consecrate and to sanctify them. But a stranger shall not eat thereof, because they are holy. Don't let a stranger eat those things. Hey, these, this food here, this sacrifice, it's holy. Don't give it to a stranger. Whoa, wait a minute. What's wrong with a stranger? Why can't they have Holy food. Why can't they have you know the good stuff? Because you don't give that to a dirty stranger. And if you want to know what I'm talking about, there last Sunday night's message kind of goes along with that. You know, people are gross, and especially okay, especially Gentile people. The Jews were much cleaner in their practices than the Gentiles were, and these people are gross. We're not going to give it to them. Okay, if I had a nice fancy. Meal, you know, if I went out, got a nice steak at a restaurant somewhere, you know, you don't expect to feed that to a dog. Why? Because they're a dog. You know, that's people food, right? Some people spoil their dogs though, and they eat better than I do. But anyway, but that God said the same thing about the strangers. Don't let them eat that. They're strangers. They're nasty. Those people eat pigs. Okay. Hey, we still eat pigs today, don't we? And it. You know, in some in some ways it's still gross, but we're allowed to. We'll cover that in a little bit. But don't give it to them. Exodus thirty verse thirty, and thou shalt anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them, that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. And thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel, saying, This shall be an holy anointing oil unto me throughout your generations. Upon man upon man's flesh shall it not be poured. Neither shall ye make any other like it after the composition of it. It is holy. And it shall be holy unto you. This is a special oil. There's a specific purpose for it. Only use it for Aaron and for his sons, for the Levites. Don't even make some like it. Don't copy off it. Whosoever compoundeth any like it, or whosoever putteth any of it upon a stranger, shall even be cut off from his people. Don't put that stuff on a stranger. Don't give it to them. Can you imagine if we had if we did that? We had a meal here. We had a potluck one day, and we had. Certain food for you know us Baptists, 
But if we have some, oh man, you're from the Methodist church, here's some other food for you. <laughs> Can you imagine how that would go over? And, but that's the kind of thing they did back in the Old Testament. Hey, and you know what? That kind of stuff still even went on even in America for a while. Remember, they used to do that, you know, in the restaurants and things. They had another area for the black people to sit at. You know, and the truth is, that wasn't that that wasn't a very Christian thing to do. Okay, as Christians, you know, we should know better than that. We understand God has broken down those middle walls of partition. But hey, back then, you know, God was pointing out the fact that hey, different nations live different ways, and the ways they live, it's pretty gross. It's nasty. Don't use that oil on them. Leviticus 22.12, if the priest's daughter also be married unto a stranger. Okay, the priest, if one of the Levites, if their daughter marries a stranger, she may not eat of the offering of the holy things. Why? Because she's married to one of them. Okay? I'm just showing you what it was like for Gentiles. Verse 24, ye shall not offer unto the Lord that which is bruised or crushed or broken or cut, neither shall ye make any offering thereof in your land. Okay? This is Leviticus 22, verse 24. Okay, if you had an animal, you were supposed to give the best for the sacrifices and things. You didn't give them the lame. You didn't give them those that were hurt. If you had one of your cows or one of your sheep fall over dead, you didn't give that for the offering of the Lord. So what were you supposed to do with it? Verse 25, "...neither from a stranger's hand shall you offer the bread of your God of any of those, because there is corruption in them and blemishes in them. They shall not be accepted of you." Um, right there, he said, don't take any of these things from a stranger. And then that wasn't the verse I was thinking it was, but look at Numbers chapter 1, verse 50. Numbers chapter 1, verse 50. But thou shalt appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of testimony, and over all the vessels thereof, and over all things that belong to it. They shall bear the tabernacle and all the vessels thereof, and they shall minister unto it, and they shall encamp round about the tabernacle. And when the tabernacle setteth forward, the Levites shall take it down. And when the tabernacle is to be pitched, the Levites shall set it up. And the stranger that cometh nigh, a stranger that comes near the tabernacle, shall be put to death. Whoa. Okay, now y'all need to be familiar with these passages because that's we should get excited when we read that story in the uh, when after Jesus died on the cross, the veil of the temple being rent in twain. You know that we have access to these things now. Because of Jesus Christ, but before, if they came near the tabernacle, hey, there's a foreigner coming near the tabernacle. Put him to death. That's what they did. Numbers chapter or three verse nine. And thou shalt give the Levites unto Aaron and his sons. They are wholly given unto him out of the children of Israel. And thou shalt appoint Aaron and his sons, and they shall wait in the priest's office. And the stranger that cometh nigh shall be put to death. We see it there again. I like this one here. Deuteronomy fourteen twenty one. Ye shall not eat any. Eat of anything that dieth of itself. Okay? If an animal dies by itself, don't go butcher it and eat it after that. Okay? If you're out there, you know, now, now some of us, I, I haven't done this, but I know some people that eat roadkill. Okay? You know, they hit a deer out in the road, they go get it and they butcher it and they eat it. Okay? Now, we're allowed to do that. They weren't allowed to do that back then because that's, I don't know, it's a little undignified, isn't it? It's kind of gross. But hey, there's a lot of people, they're all over that. But ye shall not eat of anything that dieth of itself. What do you do with it? Thou shalt give it unto the stranger that is in thy gates, that he may eat of it. What? You give it to the foreigners. You give it to the strangers. You give it to the aliens. We don't eat this stuff, but you can give it to them. Now, boy, this really is sounding pretty snobby, isn't it? 
But you know what? God wasn't teaching them to be mean to the strangers and mean to the foreigners. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 19, you know what God said? He said, Love ye therefore the stranger, for ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. Well, wow, this is being loving. <laughs> what, what would being intolerant be? Hey, listen. These laws, God separated Israel. God sanctified them. He made them a holy people. He gave them His law to try to teach us some things. And listen, Gentiles, bad people. We had no hope. We were without God in the world. These are our descendants that we're talking about. Okay, the families that we come from, and we're still a lot like this in many ways. You know, if you're not saved, you know, our, our culture is like this. And the Gentiles, not only were Gentiles hopeless people, they weren't even looking for hope. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 11, and in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. There was a prophecy way back in Isaiah, there's hey, a root of Jesse is coming, talking about Jesus Christ. That was where the Gentiles were going to go for salvation. That is how we were able to be saved because of Jesus Christ. But in Romans chapter 10, verse 20, it says, But Isaiah, or Isaiah is very bold and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. But to Israel, he saith, all day long have I stretched forth my hands to a disobedient and gainsaying people. You can see that in Isaiah chapter 65, verse 1 and 2. Isaiah prophesied that a people that weren't even looking for salvation, a people that were wicked and were not even looking for cleansing, were going to find cleansing. They were going to find forgiveness. But Israel, those who were striving for righteousness, those who were looking for a Messiah, they're not going to find Him. And that's exactly what happened. We see today the Jewish people, they are still in darkness. There are a remnant of them that have been saved, but it's mostly the Gentiles where salvation has gone to. A people that weren't even looking for salvation. We see during Jesus' time, He had a hard time finding faith in Israel, yet He would find it amongst Gentiles. The centurion man, that He told him, said, I have not found so great a faith no, not in Israel. He found it from a Gentile. The Syrophoenician woman that came to Jesus, Jesus marveled at her faith. At first, He wasn't going to help her. He said, it is not, you know, it's not good to take meat from the children's table and give it to the dogs. Whoa, that's kind of, you know, that's got to be racist right there. But boy, she said, you know, even the dogs eat of the crumbs that fall from the children's table. And Jesus was amazed at her faith. And he healed her daughter. I mean, just another story of just how the Gentiles who were not looking for salvation found it. You know, people these days, even today in America, they're not really looking for salvation, are they? You know, you've got to go to them and try to show them that they need salvation. They're pretty happy living their wicked lives, aren't they? You've got to go out, you've got to tell them, hey, you're a sinner. There's a place called hell. There's Jesus Christ who died on the cross for your sins. You need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. And not interested. But yet, if those, you know, many times they do listen and they do get saved. But sadly, many people though, and these are Gentile people. They don't even claim to be descend from Jews. They are trying to bring back all these Old Testament laws, trying to get people to observe the Sabbath, trying to get people to observe the Passover. Strangers weren't supposed to observe the Passover. 
And the Bible teaches us that if you're going to follow that Old Testament law, that you are obligated to keep the entire law. And you know what? We can't keep the entire law. If you didn't get circumcised on the eighth day, you already lost your chance. And that wouldn't even been your choice. You can't help that. And so people trying to bring back those Old Testament laws, Jesus Christ conquered those for us. That law about if you go to the temple, if you go near the tabernacle, you're going to be put to death. Hey, Jesus Christ took care of that. We don't have to worry about that anymore. We can, we can approach the throne boldly. We can go to God in prayer at any time. In fact, if you're saved, your body is the temple of the living God. It doesn't matter where you came from. I mean, you might have been, you might be a Gentile. You might have been involved in all kinds of sin before you got saved. You might have done drugs. Your body might be marked up from all the needles from the drugs. You might be all tattooed up from head to toe, but Jesus Christ can save you and your body will be His temple. How, how could He have done that? He triumphed over our foes. He triumphed over our enemies. He triumphed over the things of the flesh, the things that we can't help, the things that we were just born with that we didn't choose. Those things were taken care of. And for people to try to bring follow those things, you're being defeated by something that has already been defeated. You're being defeated by the dead. Why would you do that? We see that Jesus conquered the sins of the flesh that we can't defeat. See, Jesus, when He was on earth, He obeyed every command. Go look at Colossians chapter 2 and verse 1, or 11. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 11 says, "...in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh..." by the circumcision of Christ. What is that saying? Well, we see, if you go into the book of Luke, after the birth of Christ, we see that Jesus' parents took Him and on the eighth day, He was circumcised. We see that they went and they offered the two turtle doves and the other things. They did all the sacrifices. Jesus Christ obeyed every bit of that Old Testament law. Every bit of it. And according to this passage right here, we are circumcised with His circumcision. See, what gets us into heaven is not our works, it's His work. Jesus never did sin. Jesus obeyed every one of those laws. Jesus fulfilled every single item of it, every bit of it. And verse 12, we are buried with Him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with Him through the faith of the operation of God who raised Him from the dead. Okay, you're not going to go to heaven because you got baptized. You're going to go to heaven because he got baptized. Okay, it's the work that he did that's what saves us, not our own works. And while you should not sin, while you should avoid sin, while you should flee youthful lust, for you to think that I have to avoid a sin to be saved, okay, you're going to get yourself in trouble. You trying to run from sins to get saved, okay? Or what many people say, you know, turn, you have to turn away from your sins. Well, we all still sin even after we get saved, don't we? You know what that's like doing? You running from your sin to try to get saved, it's kind of like running from Frankenstein, alright? He's dead, he's slow, 
He shouldn't be able to stop you, okay? He's been defeated. He's been killed many times. You shouldn't be a victim of Frankenstein. Okay? And you shouldn't be a victim of trying to get to heaven by running from your sins or turning from your sins. What are we supposed to turn to for salvation? We're supposed to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? We're believing on His work that He's done. He already conquered that sin. Okay? Now, stay away from that sin. We don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. If you sin in the flesh, you're going to have some consequences here in this world. But when it comes to salvation, sin, avoiding sin, it's not going to save you one bit. You are running away from something that you don't need to run from. It's already been defeated. If it, it shouldn't be able to get you. But yet, it does all the time, doesn't it? You ask people, hey, how do you know you're going to heaven? Well, I never killed anybody. Oh, so you succeeded in running from murder and you know, turning from murder saves you. Uh, I never stole anything. Okay, so you're running from stealing. Okay, you know, Great. You know, Don't do those sins, but don't think for one second that's going to get you in heaven. And many people are going to go to hell because they tried to get to heaven by just avoiding certain sins. And the only way that's going to work is if you avoid all sins. And that cannot be done. That is why Jesus Christ paid for your sin on the cross. He paid for your sin. He defeated it for you. He obeyed every commandment. He followed every ordinance. And so we're basically riding in on His coattails. We're going to heaven not because of our baptism, but because of His baptism. Like we read there, in verse 14, or in verse 14, it says, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. These things were against us. The, the laws, you know, that were specifically for Jews. That was against us, wasn't it? We're not, I'm not a Jew. What can I do? Nothing. There's absolutely nothing you can do. But Jesus did something about it, can he? All the other moral laws, the things that we can do something about, but we've already messed up. It's already too late. There's nothing we can do about it now. There's nothing you can do to pay for your sins. Listen, if you have, you know, we've all done things that we regret. That you've hurt people. You've done wrong. You know, you've, you've, all of us have things we could talk about that today we are ashamed of, but you can't undo those things, can't you? You can't undo that. You can't conquer that. It's too late. But Jesus Christ did conquer that for us. Jesus Christ paid for our sins. So understanding all that Christ did, we should not allow ourselves to be spoiled through philosophy, for example. Okay, People that often come up with scenarios that we would all agree with instead of just going off what the Bible says. I've had many people... When I, when I try to explain eternal security, I remember I had a guy one time tell me, he's like, no, you can lose your salvation. Well, can you show me in the Bible where it says you can lose your salvation? Yep, right here. Okay, I have a son. You have a son too, right? Yeah, yeah, I have a son. Well, if your son does not obey you, if he just won't listen, eventually the time might come where you have to say, you're out of my house and kick them out of the house. Okay? And if us as God's children, if we are disobedient, we can get to the point where He will say, out of my house. 
Okay, alright, that makes sense. Okay? Some of y'all just got one over right there, didn't you? But where do we see that in the Bible? It's not there. There's no scenario given like that in the Bible. In fact, everything in the Bible is totally the contrary, that we can't lose our salvation. But what are they doing? They're using philosophy. Okay, well maybe you need to get rid of your Bible and get a book of philosophy and call that your final authority. Around here, the Bible's our final authority, but people get caught up in that stuff all the time. And there's all kinds of examples I can give that people use like that to prove something that's contrary to what the Bible actually says. Okay, And what are they doing? They're being spoiled through philosophy or just vain deceit. That's kind of what Satan did with Eve, wasn't it? He just deceived her. He just... What? That's not what God said. People do that all the time. They just... No, God didn't say that. But the, the right there, the Bible says that. I remember one time on the news they were they were mad because somebody was making claims about homosexuality in the Bible, and he was showing that in the Bible, you know, it said that they were supposed to be put to death. And they were interviewing this priest, like, "Oh, the Bible doesn't say that." They had just read the verse. Oh no, the Bible, the Bible doesn't say that. Yeah, but it's it's right here. I see it. I read it. I heard it. No, it doesn't say that. Oh, so that works for you. Okay. For, all right. I know the Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, but you know what? No, it doesn't say that. It's saying only good people. People who are trying really hard. And you know, if you tell that to people enough, some people will fall for it. They just deny it. They'll just be deceptive. And you know, and Sadly, people are getting caught up into that. The traditions of men. Okay? It mentions not being spoiled, you know, the traditions of men, the rudiments of the world. What are these things? Well, since the beginning of time, man, one way or another, it's been he's been trying to get to heaven through the work of his hands. Didn't Adam and Eve do that? Whenever they realized they were naked, what did they do? They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves apron. They tried to cover their own nakedness, but that wasn't good enough. God had to make clothing for them. God had to cover their nakedness for them. Cain, he went and he brought the fruit of the ground. He brought the work of his hands. I mean, there's example after example of, that we can see through the Bible of people who tried to get to heaven establishing their own righteousness. In the New Testament, we see how the Jews tried to establish their own righteousness. And they did not submit themselves unto the righteousness of God. And there are many false religions today that if you want to go to heaven, you know what they do? They give you a list of rules and ordinances that you got to keep. All right, you want to get to heaven? All right, well let's get started. We got to do the seven sacraments. Oh, what are those? Oh, you know, you, I don't even know what they all are, but you know, you got to get sprinkled. You got to go do confession. Hey, did you hear about those teenage boys that got to confess their sins to the Pope this week? It was a big surprise for them. They got to confess their sins to the Pope. Oh, well, surely they got forgiveness, didn't they? I mean, they're definitely going to heaven. They got to confess their sins to the Pope. Who cares? <laughs> I mean, that, that means absolutely nothing, but you've got to do all these things. They've got this list that you've got to follow. Hey, that's called the traditions of men. Don't get spoiled through that. Hey, some of these churches and some of their things they do, it's pretty fancy. You know, if you do, if you start doing a lot of these things, those, uh, the Catholic Church, they have those confirmation ceremonies that are, are pretty cool. You know, the girls wear those little wedding dresses and things. Didn't you show me a picture of you wearing one of those when you were a little kid? Didn't you do one of those confirmations and wear the little wedding dress and all that? You know, I imagine that's pretty exciting for a little kid. 
But that will not get you into heaven. That will not save anybody. And people are doing those things. They go, they take their confirmation classes. Oh, surely I'm going to heaven. Man, I got my little certificate here. I got my baptismal certificate. I got this, I've got that. They go through all the traditions of men and they are going to die and they're going to go to hell. Why? They, they got spoiled. They got, we, we shouldn't do it. Those things, they were defeated. We've got, you know, the Hebrew roots movement is really big. People trying to bring all this Hebrew stuff back. You know, saying we got to call Jesus Yeshua, saying we got to keep the Sabbath day, we got to have church on Saturday, all these things. Listen, look at, look at verse 17, or verse 16. This is a good one to remember. You know, when you have these people that come along and tell you, no, you should not eat pork. No, you should have church on the Sabbath day, on Saturday. Look, look, you should keep the Passover. Look what it says. Let no man therefore judge you in meat. Y'all see that? Don't let anybody judge you in meat. Hey, if you eat roadkill, I, we're not going to kick you out of the church, alright? Don't invite me over to eat it with you, but if, you know, just, you can do that. You can eat raccoon, possum, and you know what? It's not going to hurt your chances of getting into heaven one bit. We're not going to judge you in meat. And you vegetarians, don't judge us that like to eat meat, alright? Amen. That's, that's why we don't like vegetarians. We don't, they all think they're better than us, right? You know, it's like, and we all hate people that think they're better than us, right? <laughs> so, uh, but no, don't let anybody judge you in that. We won't judge you if you, if you don't want to eat it. That's fine. You're, you're, you don't have to eat it. But don't let no man judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of any holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. You all see that? Now listen, if you want, if, if we wanted to have church on Saturday, we can have church on Saturday, but we don't have to. And if people that are trying to, oh no, you're not supposed to do it on Saturday, you're supposed to do it on the Sabbath day. No, we can do it whenever we want. Alright? Why? Because Jesus Christ, He took care of all those ordinances. Now we're going to continue doing it on Sunday. I think it would be really hard to get a Christian church going on a Saturday or on a Monday. Okay? If we switched our services to Monday morning, it's not going to work out real good. Most people are working Monday mornings. Sunday, traditionally, is what people have been doing for a long time now, and it works out just great. And if you, you can try to show examples in the book of Acts, and they're there. If you don't know where they are, I can show you where they were meeting on the Sabbath day. But we are not commanded to have it on Saturday or Sunday. And don't let anybody judge you through that. Don't let anybody think you've got to go to a Saturday church because that's better. That will give you a better chance of going into heaven. No, and we're not getting, we don't have a better chance of going to heaven because we have church on Sunday. Okay? Jesus Christ took care of those things. We're not going to get caught up in that. Those enemies are dead. They're defeated. And we're not going to get defeated by that. We're not going to have a church split over something like that. That would be ridiculous. The Bible says, let no man judge you. Well, what are we supposed to do? Because people are judging us. Well, when it says let no man judge you, it just means don't be influenced by it. Don't let, don't let that bother you. If I see a Jewish person, you know, discussing me and poo-pooing at me because he sees me eating pork at the restaurant, I'm just going to look right back at him and say, don't you wish you were me? Because this is good stuff. I mean, you know, we, don't, don't be affected by that. Don't be bothered by that. And listen, if, if you're a Christian person and you got a problem with eating pork or whatever, that's, you don't have fine. You know, I'm not going to judge you for that either. 
But don't make it a religious thing. Don't think you've got a better chance of going to heaven. Do not be beguiled out of your rewards. Look what it says in verse 18. Let no man beguile you of your reward in voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he had not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. Well, what is this voluntary humility? Well, I think, for example, dress codes that aren't taught in the Bible. Okay? One thing, I'm not going to preach on dress right now, but one thing we know for sure about how we should dress, we know we're supposed to cover our nakedness. We know we are supposed to be gender specific. Okay? That's very clear. A man shall not put on a woman's garment, and a woman shall not put on that which pertaineth unto a man. Very clear. Be gender specific, and we're to be modest. We're not supposed to be trying to call attention to ourselves with how we dress. Those things are very clear. But you know what? We don't have to look like we're from the 1800s. Okay? And I'm not, I love the Amish people. I think the Amish, they're, they're a special bunch. I admire them in a lot of ways. But I really hope they don't think they got a better chance of going to heaven because of how they dress. It's not going to help. And the truth is, that's not even modest. Okay? Modest means when you're calling attention to yourself. And isn't that calling attention to yourself? You know, we could, I could say I was more modest if I, you know, I wore a robe and things like that, but isn't that going to call a lot of attention to myself if I go and dress like I did, you know, they did back in Jesus' day? Don't you think people are going to look at me kind of funny? Okay? And voluntary human—that would be kind of humbling, wouldn't it? If me and my wife and kids we all dressed up like we were from Jesus' day, everywhere we went, that would be very humbling. Okay? But guess God didn't command me to do that, did He? And it would be foolish. I'm going to get myself in trouble if I get caught up in those things. It mentions worshiping of angels. Okay, so There are some things that are just made up because of man's fleshly mind. A lot of the religious practices, these are things that man just came up with. Why? Because you know we've got some issues, don't we? And people are always trying to impose things on God's people that the Bible does not impose and I'm telling you right now, that is dangerous territory. It's you know, surely you've got to do something more than just believing on Christ and getting to heaven. You know, you're thinking of your fleshly mind. Surely there's some kind of sign to prove that you're saved. Therefore, a person who gets saved, they will start speaking some un- unknown gibberish in an unknown tongue. Surely there's something like that, right? Surely you'll see some kind of miracle. No. Okay. That that came up because of your fleshly mind. Okay, you know why people do that? They like going to services where they start playing the rock and roll music and everybody gets excited and starts jumping around and going crazy. I, mean, I guess it's fun. You know, I've never been so excited that I passed out before. Okay, but you know what? If I ever, you know, I'm not as much fun as that would be to get so excited that you pass out. I'm not going to go teaching people that that's what you have to do to be saved. You got to get slain in the spirit, and that means you pass out. It's, that's not right. That's not in the Bible. It doesn't work. And you're going to get deceived and you're going to get in trouble. And many people today, people who have been slain in the Spirit and spoken tongues, they are very hard to witness to. They are very hard to win over because of their experience. It trumps everything that the Bible says in their minds. But religious people today are constantly being spoiled through these enemies that Jesus Christ already defeated. 
Time after time, people are destroyed by enemies. They've been defeated. They're supposed to be dead. And it's time we just follow after Christ. Put on Christ. And if we let's get over this fascination of the dead, okay? You know, people are so weird today. I mean, they, it's they want their there's there's people out there that want the zombie apocalypse to come. I mean, they, they they literally do. They want to see the zombie apocalypse. They want to be chased by a zombie. They think they're prepared for it. They got their guns and ammo all ready to go. There. It's like, are you crazy? You know. Even if I believed it was possible, why would I want a zombie apocalypse to come? I don't want to be chased by a zombie. But people are weird. And you know what? People who know better, they are wanting... It's like they're wanting to be chased by these things that Jesus Christ defeated. Hey, let's try to make our, let's, let's make ourselves have to follow all these Old Testament laws. Why? Jesus defeated that. He triumphed over it. He made a show of them openly. They're dead. They're done for. You know what? Let's just put on Christ. Let's put our faith and trust in Him. Let's stop pointing people at us and our practices and the things we do and point them to Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. And that's what will get you to heaven. So with that, let's all stand together.